Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. You know, I've discovered in life that anytime you wanna do something good, there's always gonna be resistance. Anytime you wanna do something good, there's always gonna be opposition. And that opposition might come from within you, it might come from around you, maybe it's intentional or maybe it's unintentional. Like the story of Thomas Carlyle, who wrote the French Revolution in the 1800s. Did you know that he wrote that by hand? It took him three years to research it. And then he had a 1500 page manuscript. No typewriters, no computers, wrote it all by hand, and then he gave that manuscript to a friend to proofread. And then he went on vacation, and his friend set it down in his house and went on vacation as well and was going to read it when he got back. And while he was gone, he hired a maid. This is a true story. He hired a maid that could come and clean his house. And the maid saw the manuscript and thought it was trash and took the manuscript and tossed it in the fire. The lesson learned there is that you should always clean your house. Don't hire somebody to do that, right? And so when this friend got back home, he realized that the maid had done this. So he communicated to Thomas Carlyle what had happened. And Thomas was devastated, like went into depression devastated because three years of research, 1500 pages, handwritten, this manuscript that he thought would be really, really remarkable was completely destroyed like that. And so for a few days, few weeks, even a few months, Thomas Carlyle was in this state of depression in his home and wouldn't get out of bed and wouldn't do anything because he was so sad and so frustrated and so heartbroken. And then one day he tells the story of actually looking outside his window, opening the curtain, and he sees a man who is building a brick wall. And he's building this brick wall for a church. It's a wall that had been crushed, it had been knocked down. And he saw this man every day take these bricks and remove them and bring new bricks in and start to rebuild this wall. And for three weeks, for eight hours a day, he watched this man by himself, brick by brick, build this wall again. And Carlisle said to himself, like, if that guy can rebuild brick by brick, then I can rewrite my manuscript page by page. And his book today is a classic. And that story is one of many beautiful stories of how we rebuild. See, you and I rebuild our stories one page at a time, don't we? We're in this conversation over the last few weeks called a rebuilding year. And if you're joining us for the first time, you're watching or you're listening, my name is Mike and I serve on the team here at Active. And we've been talking about how sports organizations and teams get rebuilding years, moments where they can actually evaluate and reevaluate. They can take time to throw out what's old and bring in what's new. We asked the question, like, what if we could get a rebuilding year, at least a rebuilding season in our life? We've been taking our cues from this story, this true story in the Bible, a letter written by Nehemiah. It's a masterclass on rebuilding. It actually shows God's pattern for rebuilding. And in it, Nehemiah gives us the four phases of rebuilding. Here they are. When you want to rebuild, you got to own the problem. When you want to rebuild, you got to make a plan and work the plan. When you want to rebuild, you got to push through opposition. We'll talk about that today. And if you want to rebuild, you got to finish strong. And here's the thing that we've discovered. And I'm sure you probably already know this. If you don't, let me just open your eyes to this. That whenever you want to do something new, whenever you want to do something good, there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be opposition. 
Theologian William Barclay actually said this years ago. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, they would be absurdly happy, and they would be in constant trouble. The words of Jesus were actually this, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be things that will push against you. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus communicates to the first disciples and he communicates to you and I that we have the spirit of an overcomer in us when we trust in Jesus. The spirit of God, the courage of God filling us and using us and helping us to tell better stories. And Nehemiah actually writes about how God led him to rebuild. But he emphasizes that I wanted to do something significant. And because I did, there was opposition. And this opposition pushed against the good that we were trying to accomplish, the rebuilding that we wanted to step into. And so today I wanna talk about where this opposition actually comes from. I wanna talk about how it shows up in your life and in my life. And I wanna talk about how we can push through and overcome. And at the end of our conversation, I wanna give you one phrase that you can hang on to no matter what you're doing, that will help you to continue to step into the story that God is writing in you and through you. Here's the thing I want you to know. Don't miss this. The primary objective of opposition in your life is to disrupt your relationship with God. The primary opposition in your life, the goal of that opposition is to disrupt your relationship with God and disrupt your relationship with others. Opposition wants you to disengage from your calling, from your purpose. Opposition wants you to stop rebuilding. Opposition wants you to live in the rubble. And so knowing all of that together, let's dive into the rebuilding story in the letter that Nehemiah writes. If you have a Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter two? We'll start in verse 17. And then you can follow along if you're watching this, the verses will be on the screen. Nehemiah, right in the middle of this story, he actually has this significant moment with the people as he begins to tell them about what God has placed on his heart and what he wants to accomplish, the good thing that he wants to step into, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And Nehemiah writes this, as we stood in Jerusalem, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. So come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then I love this little nugget that he drops on them in verse 18. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me because he asked the king for permission and the king didn't have to give permission, but the king actually did say yes, go rebuild and then supplied Nehemiah with everything he needed. And so the people heard this and they said, well, let us start rebuilding. And he finishes this sentence, this moment with these words. And so they began this good work. This is a pivotal point in the story because they're all saying, hey, we're in, we've got a plan, we made a plan, we're gonna work the plan. Each of them is convinced that rebuilding needs to take place and it's their commitment that drives the rebuilding forward. And this is so important when you're rebuilding because friends, we live in a world where we often have great things that we need to accomplish and we respond to those great things with these three words. Well, let me see. Let me see if we can actually do this. Like if you're a parent, I'm sure you've used those words. Your kids came to you, asked for permission to do something, and you said, well, let me see, right? And you and I both know what let me see actually means. It means we're not gonna do it. <laughs> it's not a yes, it's a definite no, it's not even a maybe, it's a let me see. It's us pushing off the story. It's us kicking the can down the road, right? We don't wanna give an answer, we don't wanna say no, but we know that we're not gonna do it. So uh, let me see. 
Friends, you can't build anything great on let me see. And that's what I love about the story of Nehemiah and these people that gather around him. Because their words were not let me see. Their words were let us start. Let's start rebuilding. And making commitments to the right thing at the right time is the most noble thing that you and I can do in life. And they knew that this was a thing that they needed to do. They knew that God had led them to this place and they trusted in Nehemiah and his leadership and his influence. They trusted God was upon him and they're like, okay, let's do this together. When you and I move from let me see to let us start, it changes us, it changes our commitments. Friends, desire finds boundaries in commitments. Struggles find peace in commitments. It helps us to run in the lane that God created us to run in. Broken commitments are the reason why we find ourselves struggling in life. Rebuilding, it takes a new commitment. And I feel like I have to say this to you. Maybe you don't need this, but maybe somebody watching or listening needs this. And so whoever it might be, this is for you. I just want you to know that God's love is not built on how well you can keep your commitments. I'm going to say that again. God's love is not built on how well you can keep your commitments. God's love is built on him keeping his promises to you. And so this isn't about God loving you or not loving you, all right? So I just want to clear that up. I want to make sure that I'm clear about that because I think sometimes we like to connect our commitments to how God feels about us and they're not connected at all. God always keeps his word. God is a promise keeper. He will never fail you. This is who he is. He never changes. He is a God who is for you, not against you. And so this isn't about God's love. You are always loved by God. And because we're loved by God, we want to commit ourselves to the story that God is writing. We want to commit ourselves to the kingdom that God is building. And Nehemiah is like, this is what I want. But then he ran into opposition because anytime you need to do something good, if you haven't heard me say this already, you will face opposition. Nehemiah actually writes about it in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. He says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard about what we were doing, they mocked and ridiculed us. Listen to their questions. What is this you're doing? They asked. And then they doubled down. Listen to this question. Are you rebelling against the king? See, these three men, these three names will show up often in the story of Nehemiah. And they actually mock the good work that's being built, that's taking place. And then they actually don't just talk about how they feel about it. They actually stir up fear. They bring up the king. The king who gave permission for Nehemiah to rebuild and the king who provided all the resource. Okay, just so we're clear. And they're saying, hey, are you rebelling against the king? And that would have stirred up fear in anybody that was rebuilding because the king had the power to give life and take life during that time. He could send his soldiers and just eliminate everybody. And so immediately they tapped into the fear in the hearts of the men and women that were rebuilding these walls. These leaders were leaders in the area and they were nervous about this rebuild and what it would mean for their nation and their people. But here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. While they are the opposition, these men are not the actual enemy. I know that often we like to make people the enemy of the good that we're trying to accomplish, but I'm convinced, and I'll explain why, I'm convinced that our battle is not against one another, but our battle is greater than that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but something bigger than that. And Paul actually writes about that in the New Testament. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote a letter to men and women like you and me in a city called Ephesus a letter called Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against 
evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul's making a point, and here's his point. There's more going on around us that we can see that we're not aware of. And he says, you don't have to be afraid of what's going on around you, but know that there is a battle going on around you. And we have an enemy in this world, and people are not it. Paul says our enemy is the devil, is Satan. Now, can we call a timeout for just a second? I think it's important to pause right here. Because some of you hear the name the devil or Satan, and you go, yeah, of course. I know about this enemy. And you're not shook by that, right? It doesn't throw you at all. But then there are some of you where they're like, wait, wait, did you just say the devil? Did you just say Satan? And then there are those who are convinced of this person, the devil, Satan, that are like, how come you're not convinced of that? Why are you not believing in that? Don't you know that we have an enemy? And we end up getting mad at those that maybe struggle with this idea. But here's why, here's why they struggle with it. Because of what they've been taught. Because of what they've experienced. Because sometimes Christians will prioritize the doctrine and the theology of Satan over the doctrine and theology and the true work of Jesus. Friends, often we'll talk about the devil more than we'll talk about the one who has defeated the devil. Christ has victory over him. Like he is an enemy that has already lost because of the cross and the resurrection. And the reason why at Active we talk often about Jesus more than we would talk about anything else is because Jesus is the only name under heaven that we can find salvation. Jesus is the only reason that we actually get forgiveness. Jesus is the only reason that we actually get God. Jesus is the only reason that we have hope and love and grace in our lives. And so we will prioritize the conversation of Jesus over and over and over again because he is the one that brings us life and life more abundantly. And so if you're thrown by this narrative of the devil or Satan, it's okay. And for those of you that are thrown by those who are thrown, it's okay. Can I just maybe bring some clarity to help us move forward? This is something that I think we, we need to address. First of all, at Active, and, and me personally, we take the devil very seriously because Jesus did. He had an interaction with the devil in Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted directly by the enemy. Jesus also talks about how he is a real being. And so that's why we take him serious around here. We don't dismiss it. We take it serious because Jesus did. Jesus talked about it. But more importantly, the writers of the scriptures take it serious. And when they talk about the enemy, they do give him the name, the devil or Satan. They're not talking about somebody with horns and a long tail. They're just talking about the enemy. And they describe this enemy in a really interesting way. They speak about him as a schemer. They speak about him as someone who is working against God, so he works against you. They call him the author of evil, the father of lies, the accuser. Jesus actually calls him a thief, and he says, a thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. And then Jesus says, and I mentioned this already, but Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, the good life, the life that is able to rebuild, the life that is able to find hope. This is why Jesus came. And then Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, learned from Jesus. Here's what he says about the devil. He says, be well balanced to you and me. Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Now, just for clarity, Peter says that the devil is like a lion. The lion is like a big cat. 
So therefore, the devil is a cat, which just confirms why I hate cats, all right? So if you're a cat lover, we love you. Maybe one day you'll come to know Jesus. But we know that cats are the devil, all right? So that's just my interpretation, okay? But don't be thrown by this narrative of the devil or Satan. The writers of the scriptures and Jesus himself want you to understand that there is more going on than you can see, that you don't have to be afraid, but there is an enemy in this world, and people are not the enemy. They might be used by the enemy, but people are not the enemy, and the enemy will always oppose your rebuilding. The enemy will always send opposition to your rebuilding. The enemy will always use whatever is around you or whatever is in you to cause you to question if this is the thing that God wants you to do. And so can I talk about that opposition for a moment? Here's the thing. What I'm going to talk to you about, I'm going to give you three words. It's all things that you and I have experienced. And you're going to go, wait, so that's how the enemy works against us? Yes. Yeah. They're not little devils running after you. It's not like the conjuring or paranormal activity. It's not that at all. It's actually things that are familiar to us that actually cause us to question if this good thing we're doing is actually a good thing. And so I want to talk to you about the three ways that we are opposed and how to push through that. Let me give you three words. When we're rebuilding, we're going to experience doubt, we're going to experience discouragement, and we're going to experience distraction. Have you ever experienced those things? I'm assuming you're nodding yes, because I think all of us have, right? And so what do we do when that opposition actually comes in our direction? How do we push through and overcome that and continue to rebuild? Let's talk about doubt for a minute. Doubt causes us to question what we're doing. Why am I going to church? Why am I a part of this small group? Why am I serving? Why even pray? Why am I giving and practicing generosity? You ever had those questions? Because maybe things around you just are are tough. And then within you, you have this question of doubt. Like, why do I even believe in God? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you ask that question. It's not because you're not a faithful follower of Jesus. It's because you're doing something good and there is an enemy who is opposing that good. One of the ways that the enemy pushes against us is, is through doubt. The enemy wants you to doubt God and it wants you to doubt the courage that God has placed within you. And Nehemiah's response to the question, what are you doing? Does the king know about this? That stirred up doubt in him is incredible. Listen to how he responds in chapter two, verse 20. He says, I answered them, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants and we will start rebuilding. (laughs) And I love this. But as for you, pointing out those that are doubting and causing them to doubt, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Like this isn't about you. This isn't even something that you've said yes to. You're trying to work against it. You want us to live in the rubble of life, don't you? And so get out of here with your opposition. Get out of here with your doubt. What Nehemiah does is he goes back to the vision, back to the story that he believes that God is writing, that he's convicted of and convinced of that God has had him step into. He recommits himself to the vision and recommitting to God's better story for you helps us to overcome doubt. Recommitment is just saying, I'm going to remember who God is. Like he's got this. He's a lot bigger than me. And I'm going to remember who he said that I am and what he has created me for. And so if you find yourself doubting, you push against that doubt, that opposition by recommitting yourself to the vision that God has placed in your heart, to the story that God is writing, to the future that God has opened your eyes to. But doubt isn't the only opposition, right? Sometimes we feel very discouraged 
And doesn't discouragement just beat against your resolve? This is why you lacing up the bootstraps and tightening the belt and saying, I'm going to do this. It's why you find yourself maybe one week saying yes, and then the next week going, I'm over it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Listen to how Nehemiah spoke to those around him. But before he actually speaks, listen to what the enemy, as they opposed them, said to Nehemiah and said to those that were rebuilding. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. The enemy pushed against them, and it was represented by those three men that I mentioned. And they said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then listen to verse 3. Nehemiah is writing this. He says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, literally at Nehemiah's side, whispering, yelling, talking in his ear, said, what are they, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on that wall would break down their wall of stones. Like they belittle the work. You really think this is a good work? You should stop. Like, do you really think that you're actually giving your time to something significant? You're wasting your time. You're not making a difference. And then, now, listen to the words of Nehemiah after he hears these things. First, he hears these words, and he writes that the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. He says the discouragement actually comes when they're tired. You know when you're tired, you're vulnerable? You know that one of the most spiritual things you can do is actually take a nap, actually get a good night's rest. Do you know that there's a Psalms that actually says that God grants sleep to those he loves? (laughs) And so guess what? Maybe you need a nap. Maybe you need to rest. Maybe you need to refresh yourself, refresh your body, because sometimes that's the most spiritual thing that we can do. Discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective, and discouragement comes when you're tired. Remember, they they are halfway done. But in that moment, they had to make a decision. And that decision was this. They had to decide if they were going to look at the wall and go, oh, we're only halfway done. Or they had to look at the wall and go, we're already halfway done. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. And we say that the glass is half empty or glass is half full. In this moment, it was how they were going to face discouragement. When they started, God was huge, right? When they started, God was massive. And whenever you start something good, you're like, yeah, God is with me and God is for me. But a few weeks, few months into it, Sometimes we lose perspective. And then finally, as I've mentioned, here is what Nehemiah says in response to that discouragement. He says, after I looked things over and I heard what they said, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, listen to these words, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He gets perspective and he reminds himself of their why. And they are building this for them, but not just for them, for those that are coming in the next generation and for those that they may not ever meet. Because when we do what we do today, there will be those that we love that will be impacted by it. And there will be those that will never know our names, but they'll be impacted by our work as well. Your family history will be impacted by your work. Your family tree will be influenced by the decisions you make today. Active church will be influenced by the way that you give of your time and your talent and your treasure. Those that come 20 years after us, those that will lead active church when we are long gone, they may not know our names, but they're going to feel our impact, right? That's what Nehemiah is saying here. And remembering our why helps us to overcome discouragement. 
So doubt comes. Discouragement comes. And the one that I actually relate to the most is the third opposition that comes into our life when we're trying to do something good. And that is distraction. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. He is narrating this for us. And he mentions those three men that show up. He says, When word came to Sambalay and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Sambalay and Geshem sent me this message. Hey, come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Like now they want to meet. Now they want to talk. But Nehemiah thought maybe there's something else going on here. Just like Paul wrote. Just like the writer of the scriptures talk about. Just like Jesus said. There's more going on than what you can see. And so he said, but they were scheming to harm me. I love that he uses the word scheming. I think it's a wink and a nod and a nudge to the fact that they're not necessarily the enemy, that the enemy is actually the enemy named the devil or Satan. Like there is a greater enemy here that's working against this rebuild. And so I sent messengers back to them with this reply. And I love these words. I'm doing a great work and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to get my focus on something else. And so I'm not going to come and meet with you. And we think that when we're doing something good and distraction comes, if we say no to the distraction, it'll leave us alone. But Nehemiah's story reminds us that that's not the case. Because we're told in verse 4 by Nehemiah, four times they sent me the same message, word for word. And he said, and I responded with the same answer, word for word. Because distraction, he understood this, and here's what we need to understand. Distraction will keep you from living the God-given purpose within you. And by the way, there will be some good things that will try to distract you from the great thing that you're doing. There will be some things that will try to take your attention away from what God is doing in you and through you. And Nehemiah knew this, and here's what I love about Nehemiah. He wasn't going to let those who were opposing this good work set the agenda. Question for you. I wonder how many times you and I let other things and other people and other circumstances set the agenda for our lives. Oh, we listen to them and their complaint, and then suddenly we're not going to do the good work anymore. Or we listen to them and their concern and we stop the good work. Or we just don't like the pushback. We just don't like people standing against us. We don't like the resistance. We don't like the opposition. I think often in our lives, we will listen to the voices of those around us instead of the voice of God, friends. And by the way, not every opportunity that's laid before you is bad, but not every opportunity that's laid before you is from God. There are good things that we can accomplish, but I think that there are God-given great things in our hearts that God wants us to write, that the places we need to rebuild. And often we will be distracted so that that thing that God has placed in our hearts isn't the thing that we actually step into. And Nehemiah is like, I can't stop doing this. Why should the work stop so I can come and have a conversation and a coffee with you? This is why our yes and our no, it actually matters because your yes and your no tell the story of who you are committed to and what's distracting you? Sometimes your no is an even stronger yes to rebuilding. Sometimes you need to recognize that there are some things you just have to say no to so you can continue to say yes to the thing that God has placed in your heart. The story of Nehemiah, it reminds us that whenever you want to do something good and godly, there's always going to be resistance and opposition. And opposition is going to show up in familiar ways, doubt, discouragement, 
going to show up in all of those ways that we're familiar with. Rebuilding, it takes commitment. According to Nehemiah, and commitment allows you to rebuild brick by brick, page by page, day by day. Can I give you one last thing? I want to give you a phrase whenever you feel opposition to the good work that God is doing in you and through you. I want to give you a phrase that you can adopt, that you can hold on to, that you can place in your heart and your soul. It's the phrase that Nehemiah uses when he hears about this invitation to come and meet with those that are opposing this good work. And his words were this, I'm doing a great work and I cannot go down. Whenever you feel the opposition, whenever you feel like you're being distracted, whenever you feel like discouragement is coming, whenever you feel like doubt is trying to own your mind, friend, say out loud, I'm doing a great work and I cannot go down. This work is too important and too significant. This is what God has created me for and I have to accomplish it and I'm not gonna turn my focus away from it. I'm doing a great work and I cannot go down. And can I say this to you? I believe in you. As your pastor, as your friend, as a man who loves Jesus, as someone a part of the church, I believe in the good work that God has placed in you. And it's time for you to not say, well, let me see about that great work. It's time for you to say, let me start. I want to invite you to start and not allow the opposition against this good work to push you in a direction that you shouldn't go, that you weren't created for. You're doing a great work. Don't go down. And one of the things we love to do at Active is support that good work. One of the things we're going to be launching in September is an experience called Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week experience where you can discover the story of God, the story that God is writing in you and through you, and what it means for you to step into your purpose. Friends, this is something that is so significant for your story and for mine. We've had so many people get baptized at Active. So, so many people make decisions to trust in Jesus at Active. Rooted is the best next step for you. And so I want to invite you to be a part of Rooted. It launches in September, but we're letting you know about it today because I want you to be a part of it. And so you can actually get started by texting Rooted to the number on the screen. And it'll give you the information that you need. And if you have any questions, you can text that number and we'd be happy to answer any questions. We want Rooted to be the biggest group of people that we've ever had go through Rooted this fall because it is so good for your soul and so good for your faith. You're doing a great work. Don't go down. Don't go down. Keep rebuilding. Keep pushing against opposition. I love you, Active. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to actually do it. And we pray that we would not give up this good work, but step into this good work to rebuild, to be a part of the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, so that we can experience all that you created us for and allow others, create space for others to do the same. And it's because of Jesus we can do this and it's for Jesus we do this. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.